Hey folks, this is John Morris, and welcome to Awaken Nation with Brad Zollis. A huge shift is taking place on planet Earth. People seem to be waking up, tired of the way things used to be. They are creating something brand new and changing the world we live in. My name is Brad Zollis, and I get to sit down with the next generation of idea makers, the disruptors and the game changers, everyday people just like you and me from all over who are doing amazing things. Welcome to Awakened Nation. Hey folks, I have on a tremendous dude. Uh, I can't call him a dude. He's dressed up way too nice. Um, he, I shall call him a gentleman, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. And he has been kind enough to join us on the show today, late at night over there in jolly old England. John Morris, welcome to Awakened Nation, my friend. Thank you very much for having me, Brad. I really appreciate it. Super excited to be here and uh, super excited that we got to connect and do this show as well. Yeah, we have to give a big shout out to Tracy who connect us, connected us. She caught my episode with Marcus Ogden. So I'm very excited to have you on here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, buckle up. Uh, we're talking to a guy who went through hell and back and uh, learned to be creative in the process. And I love your paintings, by the way. I've been doing some research on you, but you. <laughs> uh, are you ready to go, my friend? I'm absolutely ready to go. Good, good. Uh, I'm going to read a little bit of your bio. John Morris was born on April 3rd, 1988, emerged as an artistic prodigy with an unbridled imagination early in life. Here, let me move this over real quick. Faced with challenges such as dyspraxia, dyslexia, Amorosis, did I say that correctly? You did, yes. Amorosis and colitis. John turned adversity into opportunity. He was the only child in his family. John's vivid imagination became his steadfast companion. Rather than succumbing to the difficulties posed by the, his learning and physical differences, he harnessed those disabilities as catalysts for creativity and resilience. Through captivating paintings and engaging videos john has become a beacon of inspiration touching the lives of hundreds of thousands of fans on a weekly basis in the realm of literature he read in the realm of literature he redefines the concept of the traditional heroes crafting characters that resonate with all please welcome to awakened nation mr john morris that was fantastic brad well done uh because that's a lot of information to you know to to sort of regurgitate and to spew forth and everything but you did a phenomenal job so so big props well done thank you sir i appreciate <laughs> it um you know i spent about 35 years in the pharmaceutical industry so uh <laughs> they kind of send you off to i'm joking but they send you off to like a pharmacological college to pronounce those uh, latin words so yeah I, I want to dig in a little bit because your story is fascinating as an artist, a, um, a provocateur who does videos and things like that. Uh, most people that I've met, and we had Jeremy Schultz on the show, The Wandering Monk, he had to relearn how to communicate because he yeah. grew up with Tourette's mm -hmm. syndrome. So he learned a, a pattern in the drumming. I was just curious, how did you learn to survive with dyslexia because these, these kinds of things, you know, you don't learn like everybody else. You yeah. just have a different way that your brain works. Um, do you want to talk about that a little bit? 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, it, I don't mind sharing my age with folks. You know, I'm, I'm going to be 36 in April. And the the reason that I bring that up is because when I was growing up, there wasn't all these dyslexias and dyspraxias and all these other conditions that people, you know, that, that are commonplace now. So you really had to navigate the world. And I still remember my science teacher saying to my parents on parents night, you know, John's a really nice guy, but he's never going to amount to very much because I just couldn't grasp what it was that they were trying to teach and how they were trying to teach it. Little did I know that you are responsible for your own education. So if something isn't working one way, try it a different way. So when I went back and studied at college and things to, to get my English and, uh, and, and maths, you know, your, your basic grades, it was a teacher of mine that taught by humor and it stuck with me. And I thought, gee, that's an interesting way of learning. Um, you know, and, and, and that was it. And how you navigate the world, you know, how you understand the world, you know, it's both your blessing and a curse because you see things in ways that very few other people do. Um, but at the same point, it can really alienate you from everyone else that's in quote, out quote, normal. Uh, so that it, it was a massive, massive learning curve that I didn't really, uh, I suppose in many ways, get to understand or diagnosed until I was actually up in Scotland in my 20s. So by that point, you know, you, it, you, you've made sense of the world in one way, but then you've almost got to relearn everything all over again. Yeah. Because you're really developing and working with how your brain works compared to everybody else. For me, uh, all I can say, you know, there's 10 learning styles and uh, they've discovered many more in, in this modern day and age, but I am always a visual learner. Yes. Like I can go to a movie and I can come back out and do all the voices and recite the lines <laughs> on the first time I, I watch, you know, and my friends thought that was cool, but they also thought I was a weirdo. Um, so <laughs> you and I have a lot in common because I'm an only child as well. I'm an artist designer you know i was uh into star trek when it wasn't cool yeah when you could get beat up for that um <laughs> uh, and so what was it like growing up i mean were, did kids pick on you or were you just cool <laughs> i don't know whatever it, it was only really when i was a youth minister sort of in my my mid to late 20s that i was defined as cool um you know but no i mean when i was when i was young uh i spent a lot of time in my very early age, sort of up until about eight or nine years old, uh, quite happy, easy to get along with and everything else. But then sort of eight years old, I started to notice almost like I would long, I, I would just drift off. I would look up uh, out the window and, you know, see the beautiful Huddersfield, you know, hills and, you know, and, and just all the colors that was there. And that really sort of stimulated my mind because the classroom bored the pants off me. I mean, it really did. Uh, it was the traditional way of learning. It was, you know, eh, just do your best in your examinations and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was, th there was a little bit of bullying that went on towards the end of my primary school. There was a lot that went on towards the beginning of my secondary school life, because again, you've got this, this guy who's obviously very, very different, um, you know, and he's he's he doesn't act like everybody else you know he's into wrestling he's into art he's into you know all of these different things the way he talks is different the way he behaves is different and I became very socially awkward uh and I would spend a lot of time in the library because I was just petrified of going outside into you know the, the real world um 
probably a trait that stayed with me for a long time, to be fair. But then, you know, little by little, you start finding these pockets of other human beings who are the, you know, the, the social outcasts as well. Yeah. And we ended up with, a, you know, probably about a group of 25 of us. And I really enjoyed that for sort of the last three years of my, uh, you know, high school life. But then there was also, you know, really wanting attention. There was, you know, there was a lot of things that was going on that now I look back as a psychologist in training that I look at and say, I can completely understand that and how that's factored into my life. And even to this day, uh, for better or worse, but it was it was difficult and still is in a lot of ways to go into new environments where people all the time, they don't want to invest time into getting to know somebody else or their conditions or whatever. They just want to go like that. Yeah. Well, I also think it brings up, um, it's kind of like training for resilience, strength, yes. standing on your own. Um, the idea of being an only child, if you look at the list of people who are raised as mm -hmm. only children, uh, their success levels are much higher yeah. than everybody else who was born into a much larger family. And I, I feel it was a gift because when I was a kid growing up, for probably the first six years of my life, yes, I went to school, but my parents were my confidants, my my friends, my buddies. They didn't play with me. They didn't sit down on the floor and play games. You know, my dad taught me how to throw a baseball because he was like, all right, I got an hour. Let's show you how to play baseball, you know, because he owned his yeah. own business. So I think we, and you, you can tell me I'm right or wrong. We started out life not, you know, catering to our peer group, which is a bunch of kids around us, but really our parents, which made us speak and act and think more like adults in the adult environment. I would agree with that to a degree, although I would substitute parents for grandparents in my case, because, you know, and, and, and it's no secret, it's, it's been a big part of my story that my parents had their own share of issues. Um, you know, I mean, by the time I was 10 years old, I knew fear, you know, like in ways that people would never even imagine, you know, in every part of my body, every part of my being, you know, I didn't know if there was going to be times where, you know, we were going to be homeless, whether my dad was going to be there, whether he wasn't, you know, there was a lot of stuff for a young guy to have to, you know, sort of take on his shoulders. And that exactly as, as, as you phrased it was, you know, I think what made me think more mature, like I was 10 years old, but you talked to me as if I was 40, uh, you know, it, it was, yeah. and that's never really changed. I've always got on better probably with older people uh, and younger people than I have my own age group. Uh, you know, I, I really found that a difficult thing. And, and that, yeah, I mean, that was a big thing, you know, with my grandparents, you know, having that, you know, relationship with them. Uh, and and it, it was a very mature thing, you know, yeah. rather than, you know, just going out, getting stupid, sleeping around, which is stuff that I, the, the drinking. Yes, but I was doing that by myself. I became very insular. I became very almost like a, you know, a, a monastic life monk, uh, <laughs> at, you know, at 13, 14 years old. You know, I was very, very reclusive for a long time. I uh, was deathly shy as a kid, and uh, my father broke me of that. He's He was the first generation born here from Hungary, mm -hmm. and uh, he wouldn't let me come inside until I said hi to the neighbor kid, the new neighbor kid, and there was a thunderstorm brewing. I sat there for almost an hour. I mean, the lightning was about <laughs> to strike, and rain was about to come down. My father said, hello, and then the other kid said hello, and I oh, ran inside. Wow. And I said to myself, the pain of sitting out there 
waiting to say hello was greater than just getting it over with. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I sat in my room, you know, by myself and uh, I made a decision not to be so, you know, shy. Yeah. <laughs> so now you see what I do. But, well, uh, that's uh, one way of doing it for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my dad was a hard, hard knocks kind of guy. Uh, he didn't apologize for much. And I definitely <laughs> didn't wear a helmet or any pads. When Sounds I similar. Him. Sounds similar. Yes. Yeah. But I had a good friend of mine, Dave Zierfoss. His parents had him when they were much older. So by the time he was in high school with me, his parents were elderly. You know, right. they were retired. Okay. And I think what happens is you're you're more concerned with upsetting your grandparents. Mm -hmm. So you don't you're you're reaching forward where as as a teenager, in most cases, you're like, I don't want to have anything to do with my parents. <laughs> They're idiots, you know, that kind of mentality. Yeah. And instead you're 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 leaning in with your grandparents. Do you think that's that's true? I, I think it's true that the, the funny thing is, and I've heard this from a lot of parents, they will say that their kids, you know, again, teenage years, they thought they were idiots, but they grew up and, you know, it, you, you probably know what's coming. There's times that I still have conversations with my parents on a frequent basis where I'm like, what are you doing? You know, it's just, it's, <laughs> we are so polar opposites, you know, I mean, we're really, are, but I actually learned, and, and, you know, I learned this in business as well, how not to do business by watching certain people, uh, you know, and, and you learn a lot by just people watching um, and analyzing what they do, why they do it, why they behave in that way. Uh, like my dad had it in him and he really wanted to be a great inventor but he would always make excuses. So I went the opposite way and it's like, okay, figure out what's already working and just build upon that. It, it, it's not difficult you know, essentially to make the wheel better. Uh, hence why we have tires on wheels now. Uh, but yeah, it, it, was, it was really, it was interesting for sure. It's taken a long time to, to really, you know, kind of factor out. But again, it was one of the best gifts that I had because I could yeah. now shape my world in whatever way I wanted and genuinely believe that. That was a really cool thing. It's kind of like you saw that your dad wasn't taking action and you became the opposite. You decided yes. to become a man of action. <laughs> Yeah. Right. Well, quite what do they call that over in England? <laughs> I think it's pretty much the same as a, as a man of action, uh, you know, whether it's Scotland, Wales, Ireland, where I think it's it's universal. Uh, right. But it's, it's very true. You know, it was like my dad, you know, again, had it within him to do great stuff and to be great. But he just said settle for mediocrity and yeah. excuse after excuse after excuse. But I'm not in his shoes and it's not right. my life. So, you know, I just I, I release it. <laughs> so you're the William Wallace of your family, right? You could say that. You could say that. <laughs> Hopefully with a better ending. But, there you uh, go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, this is powerful stuff that you're doing. Uh, now, how did you, how can I say this? How, you know, these formative years and you're moving forward. How did you start to discover that you're just turning this, this you know, car, these cards that God gave you yeah. and you've turned them now into something creative, something to be a force to be reckoned with and you're painting and you're drawing and you're doing all these cool things. When did you realize like, this is your passion. This is what you're doing for the rest of your life. I, I'm, I'm going to answer that question, but I'm going to change it slightly. So basically I knew uh, without sounding, you know, egotistical or, or really arrogant, but I knew I was destined for something more when I was five years old, because we would go to Catholic church, my gran and I, and I would look around 
And I would see the way that people prayed and they always bowed their head and pounded their chest and everything. And I'm looking up to this beautiful 50 foot, you know, stained glass image of Jesus Christ. And uh, I knew right there and then something was very, very different about how I saw the world compared to everyone else. So when I was 13 years old, I started weightlifting. By the time I was 17 through 19, I was one of the top junior British bodybuilders that there was, which is super cool. Um, that's not factoring in the fact that for maybe a year or two before that, I, I had been diagnosed with colitis. Again, something they didn't know what it was. When it was really bad with colitis, by the time I was 19, I was told, look, you need to, you need to stop doing this. And, uh, and then it's like, well, what do you do next? So you start looking at artwork, you start looking at youth work, you start looking at other professions, you start looking and then sort of, you know, all the way through my 20s, you know, you got to tour as a musician, you got to start doing artwork. I knew that I didn't just want a nine to five job. And that isn't disrespectful to anybody who has a nine to five job. It's just for me, that wasn't, you know, that I, I just felt like, no, I want to be the person running the show rather than just sitting there living someone else's dream. I want to be the one that's doing it. And, you know, you see Bob uh, Bob Ross, sorry, um, painting and fell in love with Bob Ross and was just like, yep, yeah, let's try doing that. So I did that over and over and over again. I have a highly addictive personality. So whatever I put my attention into, it is going to succeed and drive forward in some ways because literally you will never find anyone that's going to outwork me or that that is this level of, of crazy about what he does. Um, but when you start believing that, hey, this is something that you really can get into. And I was doing this, you know, on a subconscious level without knowing you're creating your own destiny here. You know, you're, you're, you're walking that divine path. You're, you're... Now I know after the spiritual transformation in 2021, you know, all this stuff going on, it's like, wow, you know, this is, this is super cool. And in just the last couple of years in particular, it's just blown my mind uh, what we've been able to do. Wait a minute. You just said you had a spiritual awakening in 2021. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Cause I'm, I'm, you and I have a lot in common, brother. I'm telling oh, you, let's you, talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's go for it. So I'd left youth ministry in 2016 and without going into a whole backstory, cause we've covered it on other podcasts. Um, you know, the, the short version of it is I saw stuff in, uh, in the churches and in ministry, not just in one, but in a lot of them around globally, uh, quite honestly, that should never have been in there, should never have been happening, on and on and on. And it ended up being, you, you believe you're the one with the problem. And this goes back to the whole, you know, how people see you and people love to do this to cover their tracks. It's just like, you know, it's far easier to blame John than it is to acknowledge that, you know, we're the one with the problem. Right. So... Bottom line was I had dealt with this and mental abuse and PTSD without even knowing it for probably close to about four or five years. I leave the church in 2016. And I mean, it is, you know, everything's going to hell in a handbasket by the looks of it. Uh, if, you know, again, there was severe illness. I was verging on the, you know, down the path of alcoholism, you know, in-law trouble was, you know, rife because we weren't going to church and they didn't want to listen to the reason why. Uh, there was a lot of things that were going on. You know, people in the church would come up and say, hey, how are you getting on? How are you getting on? And when you tell them honestly, they would just get up and walk away. You know, yeah. <laughs> this literally happened. So, you know, this this goes on for a couple of years and little by little, it gets a little bit better, but then something else would happen, a little better, something. And then eventually in 2021, we'd moved house in 2019. Uh, I'm sitting down in the downstairs office in 2021 
and Wayne Dyer, for whatever reason, comes on YouTube. And it's his everyday wisdom. Now, bear in mind, this is a, a person you probably wouldn't believe it, even if I said it, but with an ungodly level of anger, like the Incredible Hulk on steroids. Um, it was it was not fun being me. It was not fun being around me at that point right. because I didn't care. And uh, Wayne Dyer's Everyday Wisdom comes on, and literally within two hours, all the anger, all the anxiety, all the frustration, all the bitterness, hate, rage, envy, whatever, had gone. I went and told my wife, and she was like, what the heck do you mean, you know, that, that, that it's all gone? You know, you can't just run into a kitchen and say, it's all gone, honey. Um, you know, and, and it was, I mean, it was, and that doesn't mean to say that everything's just been rosy and, you know, la, 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 la. Right. Um, but that was, that's literally what happened. And that led into, you know, we were filming a show today for, uh, for YouTube and it was exactly the same thing. All of a sudden, these doors started to spring wide open, you know, working with Marcus, working with Laurie Bischoff, working with multimillionaires, all of this stuff started happening. And some wow. of the biggest dreams of all that I would never have, have factored in started to, you know, it was like, now is the right time. Wow. <laughs> is anybody taking notes who's listening in on this show? <laughs> Let go of that anger. Door is open. I'm, I'm known for doing deep podcasts, apparently. So, yeah. yeah evidently. <laughs> I'm th I'm just imagining a Monty Python sketch where uh, <laughs> your neighbors are like, have you seen John lately? He's got a bit weird. You know, um, that is incredible. That isn't the half of it. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible that that happened. But what what else? You said that, that isn't the half of it. What else? Uh, did, I'm sure people were like confused. But um, what else happened? So literally, I mean, all of a sudden you realize that you can blame your family, you can blame the church, you can blame everyone under the planet or yeah, under the planet, under the heavens, literally for every single thing on, on God's green earth. But the reality is it doesn't help you in any way, shape or form. They are doing what they know how to do, given the circumstances of their life. Here's the thing about it. If even if they're acting out, they're being rude, disrespectful, why then do you need to choose to get angry, to frustrate, to, you know, to, to explode or whatever. Well, because you've been conditioned to do so. Somebody hits you, you hit them back. That is a preconceived condition that you have been raised with. And when I realized that, I was like, okay, you know, my parents and, and in-laws and everybody else could be complete a-holes, but why then do I need to get myself all upset and angry and frustrated about it, which just takes years off of my life, literally. Um, so when I figured that out, and I let all that stuff go. I then, again, I, and, I, and I started studying psychology like a complete, again, lunatic. I studied uh, three of the United States' most prestigious uh, universities, MIT, Yale, and Stanford. Yeah. Uh, and I just went through all of these introduction courses online, and I was just like, brilliant, great, what's next? Um, you know, and I think in one year, I maybe racked up about 75 hours worth of online tuition through courses and everything else. Um, you know, and it, and it was phenomenal. I mean, I was just absorbing all this stuff like a sponge. And then from there, I reached out to Laurie Bischoff, uh, wife of Eric Bischoff, wrestling legend, and literally said, hey, you know, I know we did a show together, you know, maybe two years ago. I've got this idea in mind for teen life coaching. We didn't have a name for it then, but it was to help teenagers uh, to understand what was going on, you know, their, their minds and their body and soul and everything else, which is something that doesn't get taught in schools and education stuff. Um, and she was like, I don't know what we're doing, but I'm in. Now, to have that level of somebody to do that is like, holy cow, wow. 
And then we, you know, again, I'm doing, you know, podcasts with former UFC, you know, fighters, with wrestlers, with film stars, with actors. And I just did a whole, you know, season of this stuff. Then I start working for the Los Angeles Tribune. Then you start going elsewhere and you, you know, you've got your book series and, and it just literally ideas roll faster to me than I can, I can get them out. And, and that's why both Tracy and Marcus, who are a part of our team, they're like, oh, Lord help us. He's got another idea. Because <laughs> so, they know it's like he's going to execute this and it's like it's going to be big. Uh, but yeah, it's like, yeah, which is super cool. You know, I, I wanted to touch base on this, you being a, a Catholic and all. I, I also grew up Catholic, but I believe one of the divine uh, gifts that God gives us is the ability to create and then act on and yes. put that creation into reality. Yeah. You know, nothing on earth has that ability except the human being. And I truly admire what you're doing. This uh, this is an incredible series. We have to know about this. Teen Life Coaching, is that what it's called? Yeah. So, so, so that's part of the course. There is a brand new book series that I've been working on now really for the last decade um, that's all under wraps at the moment. Uh, but it is very, very close to being released. And it's going to be released with the second highest authority, which is super cool. And that's all I'll say about that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, th there's there's six quite major things that are, are all just starting to uh, skyrocket just now. That's incredible. I really admire what you're doing because, uh, <laughs> you know, turning turning an idea into something that is yep. tangible and also can help the world I think uh, is the most powerful thing you can do. And today, let's let's be honest, we're living in a very different world than the one I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And a lot of young people, they really don't know what is going yeah. on or who to turn to. And they've been indoctrinated into some weird stuff. Yeah. And they're, here they become an adult and all of a sudden they don't know where to go and what to do, especially young men. Yeah, And uh, I think this is why everybody's gathering around Jordan Peterson, because he mm -hmm. gives them rules for life that they never yeah. got from their, their dad. Um, and this is very powerful that you're kind of carrying on that legacy of giving back, teaching, and saying, hey, this is what I learned along the road, yeah. and I didn't learn it perfectly, but I'm going to teach it to you uh, in the best way I can. So God bless you, man. That is it's, awesome. it's a phenomenal thing. And I'm, I'm, you know, a big supporter of Jordan Peterson. Um, I am not a big supporter of Andrew Tate. Uh, we've actually got yeah. a, a show coming out very soon, which is about the Andrew Tate idea. Because uh, yeah. he calls himself a trillionaire. And uh, anyone that knows me knows that I'm, I always have the ability to coin a phrase. And one of the most popular is to study that which you desire to become. But another one which came out today was do the research. And when you actually look at a trillionaire, well, that leaves a lot of traces behind it. It's like black magic. Uh, you know, it, it's also why business insiders haven't, you know, had Andrew Tate on the cover. Because if this guy's a trillionaire, he's like, wow, you know, he, he's doing something that the rest of us aren't doing. But when I started to really do the research on this, it struck me then that what Andrew Tate sells more than anything, and he does this phenomenally is the idea of Andrew Tate, which is, you know, again, you, you look at it and it's like, okay, the LGBTQI community is literally, you know, it's all over the world. There's all sorts of confusion, like you said, let's address the elephant in the room. Uh, there's all sorts of confusion that's going on. People don't know who they are. Male tox toxic 
toxicity toxicity there we go it's easy for me to say um you know again if, if you're a man and you just state the facts now you know you, you're toxic and you're just you know evil and everything else yeah. well andrew tate sees this a couple of years ago because no one had heard of him before then and all of a sudden he's saying this is what it means to be a man the problem was he became a psychopathic lunatic with it and and yeah. if you've listened to any of his stuff recently i mean i just every time i see you know anything he puts up and like report block get rid of, don't want to see it. There are five people that are part of a very elite club that I have, which uh, goes under a, a very uh, infamous name, shall we say. It's not particularly friendly or nice, but that's basically, you know, they, they, they stay there. Um, but Jordan Peterson, that's that's one of the people, again, initially I was like, mm, don't really like this guy, you know, vibes and everything. But as I listened to what he said, I thought yeah. this is a guy who really, has it. And he's got his own share of learning difficulties, whether it's Asperger's or whatever. There's definitely something that's there. But you listen to what he stands for. You listen to him as a person. And all of a sudden, you can't help but gravitate towards him. So I yeah. kind of pick up where Wayne Dyer and Florence Scoville Shin, you know, and all these others left off um, that have since passed away and continue yeah. their work of the yeah. mind, body and soul stuff, managing yourself. You are not who you think you are. Uh, and that's that's one of the biggest things, I think, for a lot of people when they have that and you see the emotion break through on them, that there is something so much more to them, particularly with kids. Um, it's incredible. It really is amazing. Yeah. There is this wonderful thing that you see, the difference between Andrew Tate and Jordan Peterson, and that is Jordan Peterson is the elder statesman who's been through it all. Yeah. who's been roughed up, who's been knocked on his ass. And now he's bringing back that, that knowledge, as he mm. says, has <laughs> <Yes>, that Canadian <laughs> accent. Uh, but Jordan Peterson, all he is describing is the masculine values that I grew up with mm -hmm. before everything got you know, yeah. changed and true conservative values mm -hmm. uh, is really what he's talking about. Andrew Tate, on the other hand, comes across to me as a young person who has a lot of money. Yes. They brag. They talk big. And yeah, Andrew can back it up today. But is this the masculinity you want to look up to? You know, exactly. uh, I also took jujitsu for eight years, okay. fought in a ring. Um, but I don't run around and say, I'm the greatest, you know, in the world. You know, it's. It's a it's a small thing that I did, yeah. very tiny part of my life. I like to cook for my girlfriend. I like to write. I've written several books. I like to, you know, sit back and enjoy a good sunset or a good mm -hmm. sunrise. And I enjoy a good cigar and a glass of rum once in a while. But this this new type of braggadocio, I guess they call it type of male, um, I I can't get into it. No. Uh, a lot of people make fun of it. They call it the guru uh, syndrome <laughs> where someone has to be bigger than life. And I've seen this with people. Sometimes they believe and they've gotten this wrong that the key to manifesting the life they want is to act th the way they think a billionaire acts. And so they begin to take on that role of, you know, I'm, I'm hot stuff yeah, and they're not. And uh, you want to talk about that a little bit because that's what I'm seeing this belief that if I act big, I'll become big. So, I mean, there's a number of things that, you know, to touch on. Firstly, you know, 
the reason that a lot of teenagers are having the issues they're having now, and I always say, look at the independent variable. It's like, what exists now that didn't before? So when we were growing up at a variety of stages in history, you know, there's a lot of stuff now that exists, particularly with social media, influencers, and everything else uh, that didn't exist when we were growing up. I think it was, it was uh, certainly a less conditioned time, or maybe conditioning in a different way. Um, but with this whole idea of, uh, yeah, and I never use the phrase fake it till you make it, but the power of manifestation. So I, I do believe that it is important to have a clear idea or you, maybe your ideas become clear as you go along and you almost step into that role. So if, if you're a best-selling author, for example, you know, you don't stand out that way, but you have a goal in mind that says, you know, I'm going to be a best-selling author, and you work towards that. Even if you fall off the cliff a couple of times, you keep working towards it. You keep because if that's what you believe you're here to do, that makes sense. But equally, would I go out into you know a sea of people and be like, "I'm a trillionaire, and I'm going to wipe you all out, and I'm going to do all this, and I'm going to you know, pardon the, the phrase, but bang every woman on the planet, and and they're going to stick with me." Well, Andrew, you know, it, it's the moron that's deluded that believes that because the lion of the top of the pride is only the lion at the top of the pride until the other lions see that he's either not pulling his weight or he gets, you know, flabby or he's no longer useful. And then they tear him apart. That happens all the time in the animal kingdom. And do you think any one of those women are going to save you then? No. Why do you think they're with you now? Because you're their meal ticket because they're deluded into the lifestyle, because a lot of women want to be Barbie, which is a dreadful film, by the way. Don't go and see it, folks. We've just watched it. It was one of the worst films that I've ever seen. Top I 10. Could see that. I could see that without spending a dime. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. I mean, it's it, it was in my top three worst films. It's ending. I won't give it away, but it, it redeemed it a little bit, but it's still up there, top six or seven. Um, but that's the whole thing. People want to have that lifestyle, but it's, you know, the majority of people that you will have around you, you know, they are just clinging to anything because they know their lives are absolute chaos. They know their lives are miserable and that's all they've got is their looks, you know, and, but the problem is they don't know, Hey, you've got something in between your ears that can make you amazing. But more importantly, you're a divine being having a temporary human experience and all you're focusing on right now is crap. So, you know, and that's one of the biggest problems of how people can be conditioned and how people can be manipulated. It's what we call dark psychology. You know, when you know what people really aspire to uh, and what really gets people ticking, you can control them like that. And people have said, oh, you can't do that. You can't do that. And I somewhat sit back and I just I, I start a conversation with people. And before they know it, because they don't expect it, I've proven my point. So, you know, I, I think it's one of these things that, hopefully will fizzle out. Um, there's a lot that I hope will fizzle out, quite honestly. But with, And I've said this on other interviews, with regards to uh, Jordan Peterson's daughter, uh, Michaela and Andrew Tate, if there is any truth to the fact that they were meant to have slept together and everything else, you know, Andrew Tate, as far as I was concerned, have at least enough good graces to keep your gob shut about it. Because who needs to know, you know, at the yeah. end of the day, uh, you know, he just come out of prison. Was it a press stunt? Possibly. I don't know, but he's, he's not someone that I ever sit there and think, this is who I want my kids growing up. And the problem is that's now filtered into the schools and teachers now are having an even worse time of it than ever before. Yeah. 
Well, there seems to be this attraction to the bad boy, the mm. arrogant mm -hmm. jerk, the yeah. douchebag, as they say. Yeah. Um, and the good guy who pays the bills, raises the kids, is there for his wife, is yeah. put on the back burner now as the loser, the weirdo. Yeah. Uh, what the hell is wrong with you? He's not sexy or whatever. And, <laughs> you know, the the dad bod has become yeah. the the norm. But um, we are living in a very strange, topsy-turvy time, I have to admit. So, yes. Um, by the way, how do we get a hold of you? Do you have a website, YouTube channel? Where do yep. we go? So the best place to get hold of me is at thejohnmorris.co.uk. Uh, you'll find out all information there about everything that we've got going on, um, you know, and whether it's mind, body, and soul stuff, you know, getting from where you are to where you want to be. Books, creative business made simple. You'll find it all there, including the artwork as well. So absolutely. Excellent. Now, um, I was very impressed. You know, you talked about this earlier. You took classes at Yale, Harvard, MIT, Stanford, <laughs> the Open University. I'm, I'm like, what the hell is wrong with you? Can't you sit still? Uh, clearly you can sit still. Uh, but uh, this, this to me is, um, it's kind of like... The, your brain works differently than most people. And once you turned it on, mm -hmm. let go of anger, now you're you're wide open to learning. Yeah. I hope people, people are uh, taking notes on this. Uh, what it is, Buddha said, um, being angry with someone or something is like drinking poison and expecting them to die. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing. Sorry, Buddha. Uh, but you said, <laughs> you said something. It's pretty I much true. Yeah. Yeah. You said something I, I really enjoy, and I want to touch on this, but you said, seeking to be all things to all men. Yes. I study much, master none, always seeking to be a student of life and to help when and where I can mm -hmm. and whomever should cross my life's path. I love that. I think it's beautiful. And I think it ties into your projects like Whispers of the Highlands and yep. Art from the Heart. Let's delve into this because you're you're kind of like a uh, a renaissance man. Let's put it that way. <laughs> that's that's a good way of describing it for sure. Honestly, I mean, for me, I, I say there's two operations that are going on within me. One is in the physical, so where you're sitting there and you're physically studying and everything else. But the other one is where you're charged up spiritually. And I find when I am supremely charged up spiritually, it's like being plugged into the national grid. Like just before Christmas, I could have powered an entire nation with the amount of energy I was emitting. It was it was incredible. Um, or emitting, one or the other. I always get those things mixed up. But it was literally like, oh my goodness, you know, all your pain in your knees go, your back, you know, everything that's there when you are literally just spiritually charged, it is an incredible thing. Um, so art from the heart, you know, we're now approaching our 20th year, which is quite wow. staggering. The fact I've been doing this for so long, uh, you know, custom paintings around the world, people's pets, portraits, landscapes, seascapes, you know, all across the United States, all across Canada, Europe, Australia, Britain. Uh, and that's a lot of that's down to genuinely being able to build relationships with people, knowing how to talk to people, uh, knowing how to hold conversation, but also genuinely caring about people and that's been the same thing with whatever project that i've taken on um such as whispers of the highlands which is sort of the predecessor to the new book series i was like yeah this would be really cool if we did a you know a mystery thriller podcast as well because i start doing all these things and i'm like it's when you realize you actually can do this rather than 
well, you might be able to do it, but it'll look kind of, you know, crappy or, or, or whatever, or it'll sound really crappy. But then when you start narrating, you start talking, you start doing videos and people are like, wow, I really enjoy this. I clearly know how to get attention and clearly, and that's part of the other reason as well, because everybody nowadays that goes out on stage is dressed in a suit or a nice dress, whatever you you know want to make of that, that's fine. But how many of these people can you genuinely remember either what they said, what they did? As soon as I step out there, as soon as I do a video, it's like, oh, this guy's different. And that's one of the things, because everybody's competing for attention now. But if you know how to do that, and you also know that he's not only dressed like this and, and, and the background that looks kind of weird and quirky, but the fact that he's insanely intelligent and he really can back up all these things, plus he just happens to be nice. Uh, you know, that's, for whatever reason, a very attractive quality to people. Uh, so it's, it's, it's been it's been a super interesting journey. And it's it is it's yeah, it's crazy. that it has been two decades of, of my life doing this. All from somebody who had no confidence as a kid. Look you where you're at today. Um, I'm just thinking that somebody you did a portrait of their dog down in uh, down in Australia is like, eh, crikey, John did it, a fabulous job. <laughs> yeah, he painted my dingo so lifelike. It was it was crazy. <laughs> um, that's incredible. Thank you so much, John, for being on Awakened Nation. I'm not letting you go yet, but um, I find this conversation fascinating simply because. You know, artists make the world go around. Mm -hmm. And we are in a very strange time right now where um, someone like you, a man of substance, uh, gets pushed to the back burner, but you've managed to make sure that you are an influencer in your own circle. Because, you know, we all know the, the, the Instagram influencers, you know, who show off their body parts <laughs> and, yes. and it's like, look at me, I'm dancing, you know, um, First time I, I looked at some of this stuff, I go, why are people dancing? This makes, and getting attention yeah. for dancing. Um, I believe it was Aldous Huxley who said, we will entertain ourselves to death. <laughs> uh, and that's exactly, you know, people ask who will win in the, in the final years. Will it be George Orwell's ideology or will it be Aldous Huxley's ideology? And uh, it seems that they're both winning. It's, it's it's neck and neck right now uh, because Aldous Huxley believed they won't have to ban books. They'll yeah. just bombard us with so much information mm -hmm. and um, entertainment that's the equivalent of nachos with with cheese sauce that we won't even know what a, the truth is. We won't be yeah. able to find it. We won't yeah. be able to see it. Um, it's, Let, let's just touch on that for a second because yeah. our new show, um, Creative Business Made Simple, uh, this is one that literally strips back everything. So there's no green screen. There are studio lights, but it's literally done in various locations in my house or around Scotland or wherever. And the reason that we did this was because there is so much nonsense out there. Out of, you know, 100% uh, of people that are claiming to be millionaires, only 5% of them online are actually telling the truth. And that was information, that was research that's been done, uh, not just by myself, but Alex Hamonzi as well, uh, you know, and a lot of others. So when you strip that back, and there's one episode where I start in a messy kitchen, you know, and I'm like, 
in the, in this world of social media where everything is perfect and we have this sort of, you know, we want to present this world. Why am I standing in a messy kitchen? Well, simple, because you know it's real, because you know we're building trust. Again, when people, when everybody's going that way, I'm usually going that way because you don't want to follow the crowds in, in yeah. every single, you know, sort of uh, circumstance of life. But doing that and having that openness, that really builds trust with people. But like you say, people now are so bombarded by information. Now you've got to factor in, you know, what is true and what isn't. And they've got to filter through that. And if you know nothing about the world, such as children, uh, then you're just relying on the people that are feeding you this information to actually tell the truth. That's something now we're taking, again, the bull by the horns and saying, look, I wasn't, you know, always great at business. Not to say that I wasn't making sales business to customer, but we weren't making the hundreds of millions of dollars and all that kind of stuff. And that's when you say, but this started to happen from 2021 and so on and so on and so on. So I think that's one of the biggest things now is to find the right people and they will come. They always come when, I suppose, when, when again, like they say, you know, when the, the student is ready, the teachers appear. And uh, it's, it's, it's a very true thing. That's phenomenal that you're doing that because honesty and authenticity, I think is where we, we can begin yes. uh, with everything because, you know, I'm a creative director and a graphic designer. And sometimes I have to tell people stop charging $50 for a logo. You know, yeah. it's just, you're never going to buy a house if that's how you do it. You know, you're never yeah. going to be successful if you put yourself in the, if I do it cheaper than everybody else, I'll have lots of work. Yeah. <laughs> Stop. And it, but, but the problem is it's like, would you rather have, you know, 250 orders that pay you $50 a, a pop, or would you rather have, you know, five orders that paid you 10 grand each, yeah. you know, and recurring customers. And I know which I prefer, especially at this point in my life. Yes. Yes. So I want to talk about your artwork. I love your artwork. And it's, um, uh, you know, to, let's talk about that. You you started to get into Bob Ross. You got to reach out to um, Jen DeVore Richter. Okay. Uh, she became mildly obsessed with Bob Ross, even visited his house or his estate and uh, started taking these classes and his techniques. And she's really getting good. But um, she used to be an executive over at NASA and she oh, used wow. to work with Buzz Aldrin. So I'll introduce you because uh, you two Please are Bob do. Ross fans. So let's talk about your paintings. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, what, 17 years old and you'll find folks that a lot of my timelines cross over. There's a lot of stuff that usually happens all at once. Um, so 17 years old, I can't remember if I was out of work or if I was on a lunch break, but I was sitting there just channel surfing and, uh, yeah, Bob Ross's Joy of Painting came on TV. This really wacky guy, you know, the whitest yeah. guy in the world with an afro. Uh, and he's painting and he's doing such an amazing thing. And there was such a connection there. And I was just enamored. And I was like, oh, okay, let's have a go and try this. So I had these really cheap poster paints that, that I think we'd had since I was a child. Bit of paper that was there. And, and I start painting a house and I, I would step back and I'd be like, oh, wow, you know, that actually looks like what I'm, you know, trying to do in things. So then it develops. And again, bear in mind the whole thing about obsessive, you know, <laughs> it's like obsessive compulsive on steroids. Um, start painting, start going, you know, all out and start buying materials, start, you know, everything that's there. And it got better and better and better as time went on. And, uh, you know, I, I, you know, splattered my parents' attic in, in all sorts of uh, turpentine and color and whatnot. 
Uh, and that was really a big part of my life. And uh, when I came back from the United States in 20, I think it was 2011, 2012, because I'd gone out there, um, the very first business tour I ever did. Uh, and it was, you know, taking my art out there, taking my illustrations out there. And I'd, you know, was being successful at it and, and enjoying a lot of success um, and came back. And my former housemate had basically, we were sharing a house at that time. And basically he just decided, hey, I want my house back and that's it. And he put me in a one bedroom, I call it the cell. I mean, it was it was hell on earth uh, where he put me in one of the most dangerous locations in, in the town. And uh, you, you, again, you're having to factor and understand all of this. And there was a period where just it was it was severe depression, uh, not understanding what to do. How do I recover from this? Uh, can I recover from this? Right. And uh, yeah, literally it was, you know, you need to do something. So pull up your bootstraps, you know, get your paints out and start making some sales with your paintings. And that's when I started learning to paint pets. A couple of months later, start to paint, you know, portraits and found, yeah, I could actually do this. And um, that was one of the big things, you know, I think maybe eight months later, I ended up leaving the cell, moving into my own apartment. You know, my, my wife and I, we just got together. Uh, there was a lot of things that were happening all at once, but people around the world started loving it. And, uh, you know, it was, it, there's been a number of rebuilds over the years. Uh, and then, 20 when i finished uh with, with youth work i, I kind of sat there and was like well what do you do now so i know let's go build an art school you know and and went ahead and did that became one of the top art schools in in south asia um we had 45 students that were coming through for our tiny little art school every single week uh you know it was it was an incredible thing and i did that until we we eventually moved uh state as you would say uh, town over here um and I, and I just realized that I needed some time to heal, obviously, as, as we've talked about. And ultimately, it was a it was it was a really awesome experience. And, and life has developed a lot more now. It's changed a lot more now um, to where I'm really niching down just on mountains and originals and, and you know, uh, prints and all the other stuff that goes with it. I still do the pets, but I know now that I can't scale that as much as what I would have enjoyed, you know, uh, at a previous time. So now I'm more focused on my books than ever before and expressing myself in a different way through there. You know, it's, it's like the self-help book for the person that would never pick a self-help book up. Um, so yeah, it, it's been a blast. <laughs> self-help books for the people who hate self-help. <laughs> Basically, it's almost like you've got to hide the lessons within the novel, you know? <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, wow. John, thank you so much for being on Awakened Nation. Uh, you blew my mind. Um, how do we get a hold of you again? We go to thejohnmorris.co.uk. What is it, Koodle? Co.uk. Thejohnmorris.co.uk. Co.uk. Got yeah. it. Man, this is going to be fun when this airs live. So I, I'm not letting you go yet. Um, <laughs> it looks like you're um, somewhere at Hogwarts in the background. Um, but um, I asked three questions of my guests so that everybody gets to know you better. And so I guess the first question I would like to pose to you is, if there was a movie made about your life, who would play you? I would, well, it's funny you say that because that may be a, a very real potential before all is said and done. And honestly, I would like, knowing knowing the story, uh, I would like the opportunity to at least read for me. 
I, I think that'd be pretty cool. Uh, failing that, I think I'd want someone like a Robert Downey Jr. or Benedict Cumberbatch, you know, to, you to do that. Yeah, I think that'd be cool. Or, or Tom Cruise, but you'd have to put him on stilts, you know. So, yes. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. I've always thought Matt Damon could play me. Yeah, that that's that that could be a fun one. <laughs> uh yeah, wow. That's funny. Uh let me ask you this. What is your favorite memory? The last one that I can remember, <laughs> usually. Uh yeah. I mean, I, I suppose in, in many ways, it's certain people that have come into my life, whether or not it be at the MMA Academy, whether or not it be you know, working at various churches that actually weren't, you know, superficial, that actually had a lot of substances to them. Um, you know, the the first night I met my wife. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that there's a lot certainly that's there. Um, or and, and it can even be the, the memories that I fabricated myself through the writing of novels. Uh, there's some phenomenal ones there. And I think people oftentimes don't realize how powerful the imagination is uh, and how... How much it actually can free you if you allow it to do so, more than anything. Powerful. And my third and final question is this. Um, what is your greatest hope? I think for me, my greatest hope is to live long enough to write the entire Art Through the Ages series and see it all come to fruition. I think that's the the biggest thing for me uh, at this point. But aside from that, you know, I'm I'm genuinely in a place where, you know, I I don't really hold on to very much. I, I allow everything to flow as much as possible, um, and uh, ultimately hope that I I did a phenomenal job for me, and and that I enjoy what I'm doing because if I'm enjoying it, usually other people are enjoying it as well. Phenomenal. Uh, I just thought of something. I really would like to play one of your videos, like a little yeah, short absolutely. Uh, thing. So uh, I'm just going to set it up right here. Um, folks, I want you to watch one of John Morrison's. Uh, I want you to watch one of John's uh, videos, and we're going to do that right now. So you get to see John Morris in action. Roll the tape. Then we'll come back. I was like, I love what you're doing, man. I really do. Uh, it's phenomenal work. Uh, real quick, I think Liam Neeson could play you. <laughs> that would be a particular super set cool. of skills. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I the crazy thing is, I always think of Liam Neeson as Aslan, and when they were talking about rebooting and, and with a whole new cast and things, I was like, you've got to have Liam Neeson as, as yeah. Aslan and everything. But he's tall. You know. Yes, I lived in New yes. York for th I lived in New York for thirty five years, and. Uh, he walked by one day and I'm just like, holy crap. He's like, <laughs> I'm 5'8". He's like, I mean, he towers over me. No wonder they chose him for Rob Roy. Uh, but yeah, it would be, it'd be funny. I mean, it's one like, of the oh. crazy things, you know, like when we did wrestling conventions and things, there are some that you think, man, you should be much taller than, because I'm 6'1". You, know, yeah. you know, in the United States, I'm a midget. Uh, yeah. Over here and in Korea, I'm massive. Yeah. Um, but there's others that are, you know, walk past and you think, wow, you're not as tall as what I thought you were. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> TV creates quite the illusion. Yes. Uh, it is funny. And it, here's the funniest part. I've met some really, really tall people mm -hmm. and on television, they look like they're my size. Yes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. that's camera angles right there. 
But uh, I just want to hear Liam Neeson go, I have a particular set of skills. I can paint your dog or I can paint your horse. I can't do both. You know, something like that. <laughs> That'd be phenomenal. That would be phenomenal. <laughs> really would. Yeah. And then you could fight your way out of the 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 big scene at the end. Yeah. You know? So John Morris, thank you for being on Awakened Nation, my friend. It has been an honor and a privilege. Thank you. It has been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. And I hope we get to do this again somewhere down the road. Oh, we will, my friend. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Tune in next week here on Awakened Nation. And uh, till I see you again, bye-bye for now. Thank you so much for being a big part of the Awakened Nation movement. This is how you can help me and our extraordinary guests. If you guys enjoyed this episode, please share it out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let's grow this movement by word of mouth. Our success will be because of you. Thank you, and see you next week. Thank you.